Welcome to The Picklist, the podcast for curious food industry minds. I'm Julia Glotz, a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in food and drink. Every week, I'm joined by an expert guest to discuss the news, trends, and developments shaping food and grocery retail right now. You'll get a personal perspective on how business leaders and leading thinkers from different parts of our industry are making sense of the big issues. My guests will also share what's on their personal reading list, bringing you a curated selection of thought-provoking articles from the trade press, national media, and other titles. You can find links to all the articles and suggestions for further reading in the episode show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. Now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of The Picklist. I hope you're having a good week. It's the final episode of the season. I will be taking a break and recharging before returning with season six in mid-May. But we're seeing season five out with a bang because my guest this week is Pev Manners, Managing Director of Beaver Farm, the brand of cordials and sparkling drinks. Rather embarrassingly, you will hear me mispronounce the brand name throughout this episode because when speaking to Pev, I keep calling it Belvoir. It is in fact Beaver, and Pev was far too polite to really pick me up on it. So Beaver Farm it is, and it's a really interesting brand that's grown a lot since its beginnings in the early 80s. They've done lots of really interesting NPD recently, including pushing into the no and low market. They're also growing their exports business. And so it was great to catch up with Pev to hear what's on the radar for 2022 and to also hear him share how Beaver is navigating the current difficult trading conditions with cost inflation and supply chain disruption. So that's coming up in a moment. But first, let me bring you up to speed on some of the big food and grocery retail stories this week. Shireen Khoury-Hack is to become the first female group chief executive of Co-op after Steve Murrells announced he is stepping down as CEO after 10 years. Khoury-Hack has been group chief financial officer of Co-op since 2019 and will take over as interim CEO in May. Iceland has announced it is reintroducing palm oil in some enable products because the price of sunflower oil has soared following the conflict in Ukraine. Iceland moved away from palm oil in 2018 as part of a big campaign, but MD Richard Walker wrote this week that the only alternative to using palm oil under the current circumstances would simply be to clear our freezers and shelves of a wide range of staples, including frozen chips and other potato products. The latest Kanta grocery market figures were out this week and show that grocery price inflation hit 5.2% in March, which is the highest level since April 2012. Kanta also said shoppers were switching to own label products to manage inflation, with own label now accounting for more than half of all grocery spend. And the discounters are gaining record market share. Aldi's share is now at 8.6% and within touching distance of Morrison's. Asda reported its latest trading results, which showed like-for-likes were down 2.9% in the final quarter of 2021, but up 2.6% on pre-pandemic levels. Asda also revealed more details about its new Just Essentials budget range, including pack shots of the new range, which show a bright yellow design. Speaking of that Just Essentials range, Waitrose says it has sent a legal letter to Asda over the name of that new range and its similarity to its own essential Waitrose brand. 
the premium retailer said it was surprised that Asda had chosen this particular name and is awaiting a response. An investor coalition has called on Sainsbury's to start paying all workers the real living wage to help with the cost of living crisis. The coalition, which includes share action and major asset managers, wants Sainsbury's to become an accredited real living wage employer. And finally, vegetable consumption in the UK is falling as a result of the cost of living crisis, a survey by VegPower has suggested. Those on lower incomes are most affected, with 49% of households earning less than £30,000 a year, saying they are now buying fewer fresh vegetables because of soaring inflation. These are some of the big feed and grocery retail stories this week. You can get links to all the stories I mentioned in the show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. And now, here's my conversation with Pev Manners. Pev, welcome to The Picklist. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. You are Managing Director of Belvoir, the brand of fruit cordials and sparkling drinks, and most recently, botanical sodas, which I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, in a second. But I wanted to start with you and your story and the story of Belvoir, because it is a story of a family-owned brand and business, but one that's quite extraordinary and has seen some extraordinary growth since its began beginnings back in the early 80s. So tell us a little bit of that story. How and where did the Belvoir brand start? We started um, on mum's kitchen table, literally. Well, my father had a pick-your-own-fruit farm here at Belvoir, or Beaver, as we locally pronounce it. But never <laughs> and um, on the fruit farm, we grew lots of strawberries. And... There was one year, there was an absolute glut of strawberries. There's millions of overripe strawberries in the, in the field. And dad was walking around the field going, crikey, what am I going to do with all these overripe strawberries? I can't sell them to wholesale because they're overripe. And they're just going to rot in the field. So, and I, he had a brainwave. I know, I'll go and press them and make a strawberry drink with one of those windy down um, uh, cider presses that a friend of his had shown him the week before. So he ran home. Mary, Mary, I have a marvellous idea. We're going to make a strawberry drink. Dad was a serial entrepreneur. He started about 25 businesses in his life. And she went, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Just help me with this elderflower, will you? Will you? And the kitchen table was covered in baking bowls with muslin on top, which had been steeping or infusing for two days. Um, and in them was elderflowers, lemons, citric acid, sugar and water. That's it. And um, each bowl, they had to pour one over the other, hold the muslin, pour it over, filter it and then hand fill the bottles with a jug. And by the end of the afternoon, after about two hours work, Dad was exhausted. God almighty, how many are we making? He said, we're making about 30 bottles. And he went, how come? He said, well, Jane wants some, Caroline wants some, Francis wants some, you want some, the children love it, and, and the church wants some, and I've got to give someone more away to service it. And we get through it in about five minutes. And Dad went, ah, well, forget the strawberry. Should we see if we can make some of this stuff? And, um, Shortly afterwards, they hatched a plan to make 100 cases. And I've got the old sales numbers. They actually made 130 in 1984 of 12 by big bottles. And it was a hell of a lot of work. And they hand sliced all the lemons and they picked all the elderflowers themselves. And, and to, but dad took them around the local delicatessens. I've still got mum's homemade design labels. They're gorgeous. I might do a retro range, actually, of her labels. And um, to his... To a, to the delicatessen known as Astonishment, this homemade elderflower cordial sold, and people asked for some more, and it was really expensive too. Um, so dad thought, right, next year, well, let's make 300 cases. 
So they sort of doubled it to 300 cases, about 140 to 300. Following year, they made about 600 cases and they had to start bringing in lots of lads to help slice lemons and they bought some plastic food grade um, bins and they sort of upgraded from buckets to bins and then from bins to gradually, then he, there was a cheese vat he bought and then he bought a whole load of cheese vats when a creamery closed down and gradually we grew and grew until in 1992, he turned around to me and said, oh boy, I am now getting very old, you better come and help me. So I looked at his sales numbers, which were growing vertically and I thought, oh, okay. This is quite interesting. Um, and I said, are you making any money? He said, no, of course not. But that's not the point. We will. And I went, all right, okay. Um, and I joined him to be his sort of sales guy and ended up doing everything just like he did everything because there was only six of us in the business. And gradually we grew less and less fruit and made more and more drinks. And then about the mid-90s, we closed the fruit farm because we could grow, buy in the fruit juice cheaper than we could grow the actual fruit um because the big growers are so much better at growing fruit than we are and that was that and then gradually the range was born we did some organic stuff we started doing sparkling drinks and we've grown and grown and grown take me back to 92 where were you before you then joined in in 92 were you already involved in the sort of farming side of the business or were you doing something completely different i was doing international sales and marketing brand management for a big FMCG international one. I'd actually done a year in Australia doing marketing training. And I'd done um, six months on the streets of North London, selling to the CTNs. I'd had a really interesting time actually. Um, and done a formal sales training. So when I started selling, I, I had a great deal of confidence I could sell anything to anybody. And um, our cordials are just so delicious. You just need to give someone a taste. And these botanical sodas sum up absolutely what we're about because they're a sort of classic natural product, very low in sugar, very high in taste, because they're a sort of layering of more, more complex ingredients. And they taste delicious. I've been drinking buckets of them at home. Um, <laughs> and if I, if, if I remember correctly, the botanical sodas are also part of plans to tap into that low and no market a little bit more, which has been booming. Tell me a little bit about the opportunity you see in low and no for your brand. We think low and no is, is a really exciting area because, you know, the complexity and the sort of grown-up adult flavours, which come in cocktails. So think of a mojito, which is muddled fresh mint, fresh lime juice, freshly squeezed, and um, rum. Well, what's not to like? It's absolutely delicious. Well, we can make fresh lime. We can make fresh mint. We, have, we, we infuse fresh herbs here already. Um, we infuse fresh elderflowers. We process fresh ginger. So... You know, we're all about really fresh ingredients. So doing that is absolutely second nature to us. We pull the lump, the lime, the, the rum out and add a little bit of sugar syrup and maybe some molasses and caramel taste. Bingo, you've got the most fantastic mojito, which incidentally we're working on. Um, <laughs> but we're going to do a twist on it. Um, this one is a Aperol spritz, but without the Aperol. It's a bitter orange spritz. So we've added gentian bitters, a little bit of um, chinchona bark extract, which is what gives quinine its flavour, and um, the most wonderful blood orange, um, both fresh and concentrated. You get this amazing taste, but none of the calories. It's only 20 calories, 100 mils. Brilliant. Um, how, are the, um, how are the retailers uh, thinking about a brand like yours, which is in soft drinks um, at the moment, in that sort of adult soft drinks uh, market, as it's sometimes referred to, but they're obviously um, building dedicated low and no alcohol aisles and fixtures as well 
Have you managed to persuade any of them to do dual sightings, to have you in low and no with these botanical sodas? But it, we, are, we are working on exactly that. Yeah. One of the very biggest retailers has an enlightened view of this matter, where they have low and no mixers and adult soft drinks morphing into each other. Others, others plonk them there and plonk them there and plonk them there. So the merchandising is very different across different retailers. Um, the, the more enlightened, I think, see mixers, ASDs together, because there's a big crossover. Dual sighting, I think, is a stretch. We've seen dual sighting for some, some ranges, particularly in the, in the, more, the more premium retailers. I've seen that on certain things, but it's quite rare. It's a bit of a stretch for us in soft drinks, but we're working on it. We're trying to get that. I'd like to have these botanical sodas, which are low calorie and can be either mixed or drunk straight. I'd like to see them both in mixers and in ASDs. But um, we'll see. We will see. We'll, we'll, the persuading is going on as we speak. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. How is the um, HFSS clampdown that I think so far is still scheduled for the 1st of October? I know this is all a little bit more in flux now I, than it, it may have been recently. How is that um, affecting your portfolio? And are there potentially new opportunities for some of those lower calorie products in your range to take up space that's potentially getting freed up? HFSS is an opportunity. Our, our main effort is going to be on these botanical sodas. These botanical sodas, our new range, were made with HFSS in mind, but without, with none of the um, detrimental taste profile that most, this is low sugar, so therefore you can't expect any taste. This is or you, have, or you get lots of artificials. This is natural, no artificials, and has lots and lots of taste because we've designed it from the ground up to be very low in sugar. It's only 20 calories per 100 ml. Well, it's less than 20 calories, actually about 18, 18 to 19, but we use 20 as the, as the market. Um, and that's absolutely full of taste, and that's what's so lovely about them. So we, we've done it as a low calorie thing right from the very beginning. Elderflower cordial, the Fitz HFSS, which is um, because of its dilution ratio, so we've always said dilute it weak. Yeah. Um, Elderflower light, we're just tweaking so that that fits HFSS. Um, and of course our Pink Lady apple juice does. Our Pink Lady sparkling apple juice is glorious. So rich and delicious, but that just comes because it's 100% juice. Of course, um, the pandemic was was tough for, for all sorts of brands and all sorts of categories. Tell me just a little bit about how adult soft drinks performed, how your category performed during the pandemic and where it is now in terms of sales. Are they back to pre-pandemic levels, essentially? We've just seen our out-of-home area return to pre-pandemic levels. Mm. I mean, particularly this lovely weather in March. Everyone's been out, everyone's been drinking, and all the wholesalers have suddenly been ordering bucketfuls of stuff we've we've exceeded our forecasts for march which is great um uh so yeah the out of home has suddenly recovered to our our own out of home sales and now equaling 2019 which is great really good news and let's hope we we surpass 2019 summer which was a really wet dingy summer so um 2020 was tough yeah we did we went backwards 2019 was a wet dingy summer after a really amazing summer in 18. So 18 was above expectations, 19 was below. So our growth track, if you draw the line in between the two, we would have grown. But one was an amazing summer, three months of boiling hot weather, and one was a drizzly wet one. So if you go in between, we're still growing. 20, though, 20 did go back because out of home just shut. And there's no way around that. We sold a lot of cordial. Our cordial sales went through the roof, which was great. Um, 
they were up something like 20%, of course. Wow. Um, so our turnover didn't suffer that badly because, but we, we took a hit nonetheless. Profitability took a hit. We didn't put as many bottles through the factory. We didn't recover our costs properly. So we did take a hit, but we didn't, but we still um, did better than, we didn't make a loss, which was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. We, we'd cut our cloth a bit. We had, we had a bad 19 actually in profitability terms because we made some bad decisions. Um, but we reset and in 2020, we actually made a profit, which was amazing. And um, in 2021, we did very well. We had a great year, um, driven by lots of export sales, new listings and innovation, this, this uh, low and no range going, going mental and, um, and generally growth across the piece, which was really good. Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously 2022 um, is, is already starting to, to look uh, challenging for all sorts of other reasons. How how are you? You know, I, I guess your brand is um, a more premium brand. You know, you you're saying yeah. it's all about you know using really great quality ingredients, and that does get reflected in in price point as well. Yeah. And it can be quite tough for more premium brands to justify that premium when inflation is where it is now, and everyone's talking about cost of living crisis. What's your take on this? Are you worried about that at all? We have strong brand values you know we we're family owned we're very authentic we use real ingredients real natural ingredients we have a passion for making things taste amazing we have a great team here we are about to embark on a big elderflower harvest to get lots of flowers in um yes we're being hit with inflation in all directions yes the consumer's a little bit worried but what tends to get hit in a recession in our experience and that's going through the last two if not three um is People don't order the new car or they don't have a holiday abroad quite, or even quite such a nice holiday. They might go from the four-star hotel to the three-star hotel. They, they save on the big items. And certainly our customers, they're not going to trade down too readily. We're seeing a bit of it at the moment. People have been spooked by inflation and war, war in Ukraine and security risk. They're not feeling so secure. So the wallets have shut a bit, but March has been amazing despite the price increases going through. We've got a big promotional program going at Easter, retaining our old promotional prices. So we're being generous to our consumers. We're saying, come back to us. It's all good. We're very happy to promote the same way as we did before. The, the main price has gone up, but we're still going to, at key times, we're going to promote hard um, because we can. And um, we are confident that this year for us is going to be a good year, surprisingly. And we think the consumer will stay with us, actually, despite this. Our cordials are, are very strong. They go a long way. And we have not value engineered on taste. We're still exactly the same, just as good as before. But we're being hammered by inflation. That's the problem. Yeah. Profitability, profitability is being squeezed, despite all. What's the, what's the big concern, aside from the sort of obvious on energy uh, prices, for example, but uh, where are you feeling inflation the most at the moment? Um, probably glass, which mm -hmm. has gone up somewhere between 15 and 30%, depending on which supplier. Wow. Or 31, and there might be more to come, um, depending on what the gas price does. Now, I've seen another article, which I haven't referenced to you, which says that China is firing up a whole load of coal plants, and therefore the gas that was going to go to China is now going to come to Europe and will lower the price in Europe. But I'm fervently hoping that. Um, another one is sustainability. We, are, we have a massive sustainability drive here, but it's very difficult. We're making constant progress in tackling sustainability of the raw materials, 
But if inflation derails that, it's very difficult. But what you were just saying about um, some of the the importance of sticking to brand values, I think, takes us quite nicely to your first article, which is from Feed Manufacturer, and the headline is Sustainable Sourcing, the Challenges. This looks at various sustainable sourcing pledges and commitments made by food and drink companies in various sectors, in areas such as packaging, ingredients uh, like soy and palm oil, all sorts of uh, biodiversity initiatives. But in light of current events and current pressures, there are questions now as to how feasible it will be for some companies to actually hold firm on some of these pledges. This week, for example, we've already seen Iceland announce that they had to U-turn on their no palm oil policy because other vegetable oils have become so expensive um, in in the wake of the, the war in Ukraine. So it's such a fascinating but also quite tricky area to navigate for, for brands at the moment. Sustainability, as you say, is really important uh, to, to your brand values. Are you concerned at all that you might have to make some tough decisions on some of those sustainability programs in light of those inflationary pressures? A lot of our farm sustainability programs, because we are both a farm and a drinks business linked together, the two separate companies, but we very much sister and linked together. The farm sustainability stuff we can carry on with. You know, we're going to carry on growing the wild bird seed pollen and nectar mix for the wild birds, which we're going to carry on overwintering feeding for the little birds. Um, and we blew the numbers away on the wild bird seed, wild bird count in the spring, which is amazing. So I was thrilled about it. We're going to keep the beehives, obviously. The owl boxes, um, the owls haven't moved in yet, but we're hoping. Um, we're still growing organic elderflowers. We're going to need more organic elderflowers. So that's good. We're going to, we planted 500 trees this year. So we could get, but we're going to try and get some more next year. Probably about 2,000 trees will go in next year. Um, we're gapping up hedgerows. We've still got the willow, which we harvest for biomass. Um, in the factory, we put in a 300 kilowatt um, solar roof last year. This year, we're just getting quotes for another 100 kilowatt on the south side of the thing, which will take us, we're about 25 to 28%, depending on the weather, uh, solar electric at the moment um, to reduce our carbon. Hopefully, we'll reduce even more by the, by the next phase to about 40%. And then um, I've said to my gang, we've got to get to 100% electricity from renewable sources by 2025. That's our goal. And full carbon neutrality by 2030. Now, the electric one, of course, we can sign up to the provider that provides electricity. I actually want to try and do it a bit clever, more cleverly. I want to get to the point where we generate it ourselves. So I think we'll get planning permission for some small scale windmills and maybe some solar in the fields, because we've got some spare little patches here, which we can put some field-based solar on. And then when the battery technology gets good enough, I want to store it from the sunny days and use it on the non-sunny days. So I'm going to see if we can do that just on solar and wind. But if we can't, we'll have to go the buying only from sustainable sources. We've converted our boiler from, from diesel to run on um, gas, that saved about 30% of carbon on that. All our forklift trucks are running on biodiesel. So there's all sorts of little touches we're doing within the place. And we've been audited by Certified Sustainable. We've got zero waste landfill. And we got a gold award from them because absolutely everything is either reused or recycled, which is brilliant. Um, and, all the, and all the 
the normal landfill stuff goes to an incinerator, which makes power. Um, even the water is recycled, our wastewater. So, so what, I'm, what I'm hearing from all of this is you are not going to, you're not going to be forced to, to make any compromises on this, or you are choosing no. not to compromise on this, even um, if, even if the, the, the trading environment is quite difficult. No, and actually one of our things, one of the things mentioned in this um, food manufacturer article, the cost of fertilizer has gone through the roof because of the, because it's functional, uh, the amount of energy, huge amount of energy use when, when making fertilizer. And most of that is gas. The price of fertilizer has gone from about 190 quid, 200 quid a ton to a thousand if you can buy it. That's wow. five times increase in artificial fertilizer. Now on the farm, we do use artificial fertilizer. We're not a completely organic farm. But we have supplemented the use, or rather substituted, that's the correct word, substituted the use of chemical fertilizer with manure. Now we are buying um, 5,000 tons of manure, uh, or actually we're not buying it, we're swapping it for straw. Now we've got a lot of- Are you doing products. that with local farms or, yeah? Three local farms, one pig farm, one chicken farm, and one uh, massive cattle, two cattle farms. And we've got a big loader, and we go and collect their muck. We go and, we go and get it out of their barn, shove it in our truck, our, our trailer, bring it. It's not a very, not a very pretty job. <laughs> bring it here, and then we put it through our very cool new loader, which is massive, about the length of this room, and got a huge thing at the end, which chucks it out and aerates it, turns it into compost. So it's composted manure, and that is rocket fuel for the land. It's wonderful. And completely, completely um, substitutes chemical fertilizers. So on the areas where we're using the manure, we're using about half as much chemical fertilizer, which again is fantastic for the organic matter in the land, and, it, and it's fantastic for everything. But um, we're seeing the challenge. People are, there's a lot of greenwash, and what we're doing is not greenwash. It is going to be difficult to sustain some of it. That's for sure. Yeah. We might get hit with stuff, I don't know. Now I want to take you to the second article. This one's one I picked and it's from the grocer and in fact it's the lead feature for this year's Britain's biggest brands ranking which has just come out and the headline is The Great Grocery Punch-Up and it looks at the changing dynamic between brands and own label in particular because during the pandemic as you will know brands did really well there was lots of talk of the flight to brands as shoppers were looking for familiar trusted options but as we've come out of various lockdowns that growth has started to slow and now inflation affordability are big concerns and the question the article is looking at is is own label poised to stage a comeback this week's latest Kantar figures already show the proportion of spend on own label versus brands is up from 49.9% uh, this time last year to 50.6% this year. That doesn't sound like that much, but it um, amounts to quite a lot of money. Lot. It is a lot. Yeah, you're right. Uh, absolutely. What is your view on that dynamic between own label and brands? Because you are in a category that is very heavily branded. Um, where there's a lot of shopper loyalty to brands. Are you seeing any evidence that shoppers are switching more to own label? We, we have seen this as the publicity around inflation and the rise in energy costs and the government's increase in national insurance, they certainly haven't helped, and Rishi's taxing budgets. Um, as that publicity has hit, 
um, people have been going, ooh, better not spend too much money, better try that own label product. Now we've seen it many, many times over the years that when people go to own label, they try it, they usually come back to the brand because the quality is better. Um, if, they, if quality is important to them. Now our consumers, the ones drinking our products, quality is important to them already. So I don't think we're gonna lose that much to own label personally or for our brand. I think other brands which don't have values as strong as ours of quality, naturalness, sustainability, and, and honesty, some of them will, will lose. Our rate of sale has gone down a bit, but the whole category has gone down in cordial. Sparkling, we've actually increased our market share slightly, just lately, but it's only, it's only early days, it's only February data. It's hard to say. I, the margin, the margin, yes, own label will win. Um, own label brands have got a lot better in the last few years. One or two of them are pretty good. Um, quite a lot of the cheaper end stuff isn't. So we'll see. I think it's some and some. I think it's retailer by retailer, actually. Yeah. The quality of their offer. What are conversations like with retail buyers at the moment? It's obviously it's a tough trading environment and, and some of those conversations about how inflation does or doesn't get passed on uh, can be can be quite tricky. What's what's the mood at the moment? How are those conversations going? Well, we've we've done all our price negotiations. They they're done for the year. Um, we're just hoping that we don't get hit again with further, mm. the further unforeseen inflation, which forces us to go back again. I don't think we will, but you never know. God, it's a bit crazy when war hits and prices go through. Totally. Um, I think, thing, personally, I think things are going to get better. I think the China going to coal, although it's appalling for the environment, is going to divert gas to Europe, LNG gas from Qatar and places like that, to Europe, which will flood the UK, the European market. And if they sign a peace deal with Ukraine, the taps will open again. So I, and, and we're coming up to summer, which is a lower period of, of gas usage. So I think the price of energy is actually going to go down. And I think that will ameliorate the inflationary pressures um, very substantially right across the piece. Um, so we'll see. That's my own personal take on it. But I could easily be wrong. Um, we are seeing wage inflation and cost inflation coming through in people costs and that people are the most important thing in our business and um yeah we can't underpay them so people costs are really important and that's a scary one because um people are looking for you know significant wage increases we haven't got to that either because we did that at christmas time but you know last year we had to put a factory cost factory wage increase through in the middle of the year an extraordinary one because um, we weren't competing with local businesses. Yeah. So if inflation knocks onto wages big time, that's when it becomes hard baked into the economy. So I'm worried about that. Um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But it's yeah. a real challenge, it's a, it's a massive challenge. Inflation is the biggest challenge facing businesses at the moment. The uncertainty of it, you don't know which one's next. Sugar's gone nuts, one of our core raw material. Um, it's gone up a lot and fruit juice has gone bananas so we will see <laughs> what are your options um, within the business for trying to mitigate some of these these price increases are there any options is there a way to to hedge against any of this at this stage there's no way to hedge against uh, for a business our size we can't really hedge against anything because we're, we're not that big you know we're not coca-cola we're only um, 
I mean, you employ 85 people, and we're not that big. We're, we're very much an SME with the S, slightly the S, you know, side of SME. Um, so no, we're a, we're a, we're a cork bobbing around in, in, the, in the ocean of, of the world, um, world's markets, um, or a little rowing boat bobbing around, um, being buffeted by everything. What we can do is try and sign long-term contracts, but one major supplier with whom we have a long-term contract, who shall remain nameless, wrote to us saying, I'm terribly sorry, we're putting an energy surcharge on. And it's a very considerable energy surcharge on your contract. A sort of double double digit increase. Wow. What? Hang on a minute. We've done our costings for the year because it's a contracted price. You can't do that. And they've gone, well, sorry, we can. Otherwise, we won't be here. Now, they're a very big international business. So you thought a contract would stick with them. But just shows you. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's a difficult. Um, um, yeah. Fruit juices, we buy on the markets when we can. Um, and that's very tricky. A lot of fruit comes out of Ukraine, hell of a lot. Blueberries, for instance, come out of Ukraine, huge amounts of them. Um, and, um, and soft fruits as well. So it's gonna be tricky, but we don't, we, we just gotta navigate it as we go. You know, the price of raspberries last year went up four, to four and a half times last year before the war in Ukraine, just because it was a bad crop. So um, we couldn't buy a raspberry at the previous price for love nor money. So what have we done? We haven't value engineered the product. We carry on making it. We just stop the promotions on it. Yeah. Which is sad because we'd like to give people good value, but we can't do it. And it's selling, you know, barely at break even. But, yeah. Uh, it's, it's difficult though, because as you say, at some point you do run out of options. You can't run, point, keep running up, promotions if, if... If it goes up another four times. Exactly. Lemon and raspberry, you know, or something, rather than raspberry and lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to take you into the third article. We're staying with slightly tricky subjects. Um, this one is uh, one you picked. It's from the Daily Telegraph. And the headline is, The truth about artificial sweeteners will leave a sour taste in your mouth. Now, based on everything we've already talked about, I know that natural ingredients are very, very important to you. And in particular, you've just mentioned the price of sugar. You yep. do use sugar, you do not we use do. artificial ingredients. But just for a bit of context for, for listeners on this particular article you've picked, it's basically looking at the growth in artificial sweeteners, um, partly in response to some government uh, anti-obesity initiatives, which have prompted companies to take out sugar and reformulate to hit some of those uh, nutrient profiling targets. Um, there is lots of debate and controversy around how artificial sweeteners affect the body and whether consuming too much of them is a problem. Um, some people are very strongly opposed to them. The scientific evidence on their impact is not particularly clear, as this article points out, but it draws attention to one particular area of concern, which is around the impact of sweeteners on appetite. And there is a study uh, that they're reporting on which suggests that in some people at least, Consumption of artificial sweeteners can stimulate appetite and trigger them to end up consuming more calories than if they had just eaten uh, or drunk the full sugar version in the first place. And there are also just some wider interesting questions being raised in the piece, including by Professor Tim Spector, about the impact of having so many foods that are so sweet all the time. Pev, I think I know the answer to this question, but tell me a little bit about why you picked this article 
and what stood out to you from it? It just, it's controversial. It is controversial, this subject, because um, artificial sweeteners are widely used in, in my industry in soft drinks. All the big guys use loads and loads of artificial sweeteners. To, in quite honest behaviour, they are perfectly legal. They are deemed to be safe by the European Food Standards Agency, and they are um, used as part of a calorie-controlled diet by a lot of consumers. And it's very interesting to see that this sort of article, I've read a few of these over the years, saying that artificial sweeteners actually make you, your body hasn't consumed calories and you still feel hunger. And yet your brain tells the pancreas to secrete insulin. So there's lots of chemical reactions going on. But the fascinating thing is that you, and you, you're going to eat, it says basically you eat more because you've consumed artificial sweeteners. The brain says to the stomach, we've got sweet. The stomach goes back to the brain. Sorry, we haven't got sweet. Go and get sweet to equal out the insulin. So I thought it was actually fascinating, the, the sort of the, um, the metric that goes on within the body and how the artificial sweetness trick the brain. Um, and if you're not really careful, you can end up eating a lot more. Um, and it's certainly true that before artificial sweetness came along and also before high fructose corn syrup came along, which is widely used in America, which has an incredibly high GI index, it makes your blood sugar rocket very quickly. Um, people were thinner <laughs> and they didn't have artificial sweeteners. They just had sugar, sugar sweetened soft drinks because sugar kicks off the, yep, we've had sugar. Yep, get insulin. Yep, you're fine. You don't need any more. That's enough. It has the thing where it stops. You know, you, you, satiety is, is, is reached. Um, so I just thought this was absolutely fascinating. I haven't read too many articles as big as, or as long about this, about artificial sweetness. And it just made me feel comfortable that I'm that I've stuck with sugar rather than going the artificial sweetener route. It's an interesting one because, at the same time, uh, we also have a problem with overconsumption of sugar. Um, how do you think? How can how can food and drink brands strike the right balance here? And if they do use sugar, um, how how do you approach that? How do you make sure that consumers understand what? moderate consumption or responsible consumption looks like? It's a difficult one. Um, we suggest a, a, long, a long dilution in our cordials. So we, we suggest one to 10 in our cordials and diluted like that, you still get a lovely drink. You don't get very much sugar. We're making these botanicals, which as I said earlier, have got very low calorie. Very, they are maybe sugar, but very low, only 20 calories per 100 ml. So a drink is um, 50 calories of a, a drink, which is very little for a glass. Um, our other drinks, our, our core range of elderflower, ginger beer, raspberry lemonade, those, those ones, um, they have slightly higher calorie intake, but they're, they're consumed as a treat. They're not an everyday drink. They're, they're too expensive, probably, for too premium for an everyday drink for most people. They're, they're drunk at an occasion when you want to treat people, you want to have some, uh, an indulgence. It might be an everyday indulgence for some people, but most people won't drink them every day. I don't. I open bottles of our sparkling drink at the weekend, I've got someone coming around, I can't yeah. to do the cordial. But the kids and I have cordials, all, all these new botanicals most, most days, um, because they're natural. They, they contain sugar, yep. But as with, with food, sugar's fine. With the fiber and the, the good bits that come with good natural food, we're always chopping vegetables. And we have, you know, endless, we have um, over 10 a day of our greens, fruit and veg. And um, all of us, and we, we make food fresh every day at home. I'm quite a cook. I love cooking. 
Um, and I love food. I've got, I, I love good food. So we'll have either meat or vegetarian. We'll, we'll, we'll go both. And lots of fruit and veg for high fiber. And with that, sugar is fine. Your body's releasing energy and it's consumed in a steady way. What you don't want is you don't want a high sugar drink in the middle of the, in the, middle of the day on an empty stomach because it makes your insulin levels rocket. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, not everyone gets, I mean, certainly I wouldn't get my 10, my 10 a day. I'm, I'm very impressed that you are uh, managing to get that in. But um, Pep, we're, nearly, we're, we're nearly out of time. But before I let you go, I just wonder if you could give us a bit of a taste of what is next for you this year. You've given us a little bit of a flavor of, of some of the new products you've got coming out. But um, what are your big priorities um, for the next 12 months? That's really interesting. Our big priorities for the next 12 months. Well, um, we, need to, we need to nail down um, the increase in format change. So we're probably going to go uh, look at what the best formats for our drinks are and have a massive review of formats, whether we should be in four packs, six packs, 10 packs, whatever packs it should be, um, what product, whether that should be glass or cans, what size, what's the optimum size for our cans, what does the consumer really want? We're looking at the shopper journey. What does the shopper want when they come to the fixture? Have we signposted our range easily enough? So the light, low sugar range, which we which is, we sell a lot of elderflower light, or, or lighter elderflower, we call it. Lighter elderflower, lighter raspberry lemonade. Are we signposting that clearly enough? So we're going to do a bit of a packaging review that in that sense, a bit of a format review. Um, we're working hard on getting into the out-of-home areas. We've historically been weak out of home, been very good in retail, and that includes speciality retail. So our home is farm shops, delicatessens, and fine food stores, and fine food halls, which is where we used to sell the cordials when we very first started. And that's where we've grown from. But we're quite weak in out of home, we're quite weak in cafes, we're quite weak in pubs and, and leisure outlets. And we're looking to grow in those areas. And there's a big push there. And of course, export. The world's an oyster, and we're we, we export about 20% of our sales and we've got some really exciting stuff going on export. Um, Any yeah. new markets that you're particularly excited about? Uh, well, really, it's about growing in the United States. We've got some big growth plans there, which is exciting. We've got, you know, we, one of our guys had dinner with one of the big retailers over there. He's thrilled about what we're up to. We've got all sorts of ideas. Um, we've got a big retailer in Australia talking to us about different things. We've got lots of stuff going on. It's really exciting. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be posting some sexy export numbers this year. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll keep a very close eye on that. Pev, we are out of time, but thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, being such an interesting guest. It's a real pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure, Julia. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it useful. If you did, please consider giving The Picklist a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening and leave a review. It tells me you're enjoying the show and would like it to continue, and it helps me reach more listeners. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn at juliaglotz.com and on thepicklist.co.uk. And if you'd like more thought-provoking reads for your personal reading list, please subscribe to The Trim, my free weekly newsletter at juliaglotz.com forward slash newsletter. See you next time.